So welcome. Thank you for coming into this lovely shady marquee in the middle of a, a nice sunny summer afternoon. I've been outside most of the day, so by the end of the seminar, I'm probably going to be the same colour as my dress. Um, but it's been great, isn't it? Really good time to be together. And uh, as Chris was saying, it's really important that we know as single people that we're part of God's family and that we have a part to play in the mission that Commission is on. And I lead the Unified Strategy Block for, for Guy Miller. And so I have a massive heart to see us as single people playing our part in this vision and this mission. And, and really our heart from myself and from Matt this afternoon is that we want to encourage us to stop waiting and start living and encourage us to be countercultural in our singleness. We've got a great message to share with the rest of the country that perhaps don't know Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't, then hopefully this will help you and bless you too. But we've got an amazing message to give. And uh, a part of that is, is what you're going to be encouraged in this afternoon. So we want to inspire you and help you. And we're going to help you to embrace the life that perhaps you didn't expect. I'm 44. Um, you can... Wow, look horrified if you like. Come on, ladies, thank you. So I'm 44. I would much rather be in the seminar talking about how to raise a family than I would be here, but this is God's best for me, and uh, I'm making the best of it, but it's not the life that I expected or desired. So I want to help us to think about, even though in that context, how we can grasp the truth of what God says about us as singles, as well as about marriage, and then also encourage us to live in the good of what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to look a bit at the Bible as well, and Matt's going to help us do that. So Matt and myself are both going to share. We're just going to be really honest and vulnerable with you and share a bit of our story, a bit of our testimony. And Matt's going to look at the biblical context of singleness, and then I'm going to close us off at the end. And as Chris said, we're going to do a Q&A as well. I'm not going to be answering any questions on dating because I'm probably not the best person to do that, so perhaps Chris can take those, um, or Matt. <laughs> but I just want to start by saying I know... This can be a really sensitive subject, and I know for some of you, it would have been quite a challenge even to walk into the marquee. And you might have done what I've done before, where you've done that sort of slow walk past, have a little look, who's in there, do I want to walk in or not? So I know for some of you, you're in a sensitive place, it might be difficult. So I just want to honor you and celebrate you for coming out and being here. And uh, I really hope that God blesses you. We're really in faith, myself and Matt, that God's gonna really release some of us today and, and bring real freedom. So thank you for coming. We know it's a sensitive subject. I just want to say this is a safe place. And we're going to make ourselves vulnerable in the hope that you will do that too. And you'll be honest with yourself. And you'll be honest perhaps with a friend that you've come with. But most of all, you'll be honest with God about your situation too. So we're going to try and create a safe environment. We're not going to do a horrible singles altar call at the end where you'll have to come forward and we, st we stick the boys this side and the girls that side. <laughs> and I'll say so, you know, see anyone you like. I have, that has actually been done. I'm not going to name the church, but it has been done. I promise you, this is a real, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? This is a really safe place. Uh, so I just really want to set that context and say well done for coming. And um, yeah, hopefully, you know, we're just really in faith that God's going to move and uh, he's really going to bless us and we're going to have a good time together. How's that sound? Sound good? Great. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the context of singleness um, and then my testimony and then Matt's going to take over for a little bit. So in terms of singleness and what we mean by single, there's, there's kind of a difference often within what the church might call singleness and what secular society might say is single. So for us, in a church context, we would say if you're single, you're not married, whereas in society, in secular society, that would be you're not in a relationship. So there is often a difference. So when we talk about stats and we talk about the, the situation in our culture, there is a slight difference in that too. But there's also different types of, of singleness as well. 
So you might be uh, someone who's always been single. You've, you've never been married, um, and you've always been single right from birth. You might be someone who's single again, so someone who's divorced or someone who's experienced bereavement. Or you might also be single out of choice because you experience same-sex attraction, so you've decided out of choice to honour God and to remain single and celibate. And I'm sure there are people within that context in this room today. For myself, um, I got saved at 26, and um, at that age I'd already been married as a non-Christian, and my marriage fell apart despite my best efforts to try and fix it. Um, I'm a fixer by nature, I have the gift of administration, and I earnestly tried my absolute best, and it didn't happen. But out of that, that real pain and the horrific experience of being 26 and thinking your life is going one way, God miraculously stepped in and took me in another direction. So I'm single again, so I'm bringing that context perhaps to what I'm sharing with you. Um, Matt will bring a different context, but just really wanted to say there'll be different people in the room in different situations. If you're here and you're married, then fantastic. We're so pleased to have you. I'm hoping that singles are the majority because we're normally the minority, so that'd be really cool. Uh, but if you're married, then we really hope to equip you and help you to understand perhaps you have someone that you know and you love who's single or you lead a church or you're in a leadership role in a church, then hopefully we'll try and help you to understand from our perspective today. So that's what we kind of mean by singleness in the context of what we're going to talk about today. And there's also, I just want to say, there's, there's no typical single, and I can see that just by looking at all your beautiful faces, but there's no typical single in the same way that there's no typical married, and you can often end up being shoehorned into a, like, you know, serving in the youth because you're still single at 35, and that's where they want to put you. So there is no typical single in the same way that there's no typical marriage as well, and that's okay, and we shouldn't compare ourselves to each other. We're all unique, and we're all made in God's image, and it's okay to be different. So there's this huge, um, one of the largest social demographic shifts in our society at the moment is actually singleness. People are marrying later. The divorce rate has actually peaked off, um, but it was increasing. But people just aren't getting married. They're putting their career first. There's lots of different things happening in our society that are creating a more single society. So more and more people are living alone, for example. Um, so there are more and more people out there. But in the church also, one in three people are single. One in three people are single in the church. So it's quite an increasing, increasing number. I won't, well, yeah, I will share the depressing fact now and get it out of the way. Single women outnumber men by two to one in the church. Um, so guys, can you please get out there and evangelize for us? That would be great. <laughs> Amen. There was an interesting uh, Twitter hashtag trending around Valentine's Day. And the hashtag was uh, single life in three words, in which people were sharing their experience of, of being single. Uh, to be honest, most of them I can't read out. Um, but this is just a few. And this gives you a, a flavor of what it's like to be, to be single. And you might identify with some of these, hopefully not all of them. Netflix, beer, pizza is the first one. Get a cat. <laughs> and you could probably assume that one's a male doing that and one's a female. I don't know, maybe not. Life is nothing. Contentment, fear, confusion, designated third wheel, keep swiping right, which is a reference to the Tinder app, no pregnancy scares, and eat, sleep, repeat. I don't know about you, but that, that does, just doesn't sound inspiring, does it? It doesn't sound inspiring. And I think the media gives us this message, and I think often, sadly, the church does as well, 
that singleness is, is a phase to be endured or something to be passed through and eventually everyone will get married and you just have to deal with it for however long it lasts. And, and I think we can get so bombarded by lies from the media um, that, that actually they just knock us back and they disable us. And they, yeah, so our culture will tell us lies that marriage is a goal to be reached or a prize to be attained. That being single makes us second-class citizens. And I think certainly people I speak to, and I've had this myself in the church particularly, you can feel shame that you're single and that you're not married, particularly as there's so many families surrounding us in our churches. Singleness is a phase, it's a season of life to be endured. Another lie, we can be only be truly romantically and sexually fulfilled by being in a relationship and that marriage makes us happy. And if you're in the room and you're, you're married or you've been married, you know that's a lie. Marriage doesn't make you happy. In fact, the Bible tells us it brings trouble. It brings trouble, so it doesn't make us happy. But when we have all these things bombarding us and we listen to them, because the power of it in the lie isn't in the lie itself, it's in whether we listen to the lie. When we're listening to these lies and believing them, they can affect us and they can paralyze us and they can stop us um, and put our life, make us put our life on hold and thinking that actually our life's not going to start until we reach marriage, until we get married, until we have a kid. And, and, and life is like a stepladder that you step up and you go through these stages and you really reach the pinnacle when you've got grandkids. And that's not how life is. Life is linear. But society and often, sadly, the church will tell us differently. And it's no wonder that we sometimes feel like life is on hold. And that's kind of part of my testimony, which is also in the title of the seminar about stop waiting, start living. And um, so I've been single since I was 26. And uh, I've had different levels of acceptance of that. Um, and yeah, contentment in, I suppose. Sometimes I felt content, sometimes I, I didn't. And it, it's been different. And I think single, singleness is different depending on what age or life stage you're at. So if you're single and 25, it might feel quite different to 35. Or if you're single and you have kids, or you ha you're single and you have elderly parents to care for, it will feel very different. And if you're single and everyone's getting married, it feels different to when you're single and everyone's having babies. So there's different stages to life. And for me, that's been my experience. And a few years ago, I, I just got to a really, really low point a really low point and uh, you know people were getting married there was a baby explosion at church quite literally popping out everywhere and I just got I just I got one, one night and I got on my knees and I just cried I just cried to God and just expressed my frustration and poured out my heart to him um, just trying to tell him how I was feeling and my frustration and it was it was just yeah it was, it was pretty horrible. There was snot and things. Um, but through that, I don't know your experience is this, but often if I'm really upset and I'm praying, God waits until I've run out of steam to then talk to me. On this occasion, he very clearly spoke over my blubbing and my words and everything else and said very clearly to me, Cara, I need you to stop waiting and start living. And I was a, I was a bit miffed, to be honest. I thought, what? I've planted a church. I've moved to Guildford. I'm doing this. I've, you know, I've got a job I'm working really hard in. I've got a social life. I'm not waiting. But actually, as I really, you know, thought, well, God's spoken to me. I better really pray over this and think about it for a while. And, and as I went through it with God, I realized, actually, do you know what? He's right. It was really subtle. It was really subtle. But I was waiting. I was waiting to find a husband. I was waiting for God to deliver someone to my front door, maybe a pizza delivery guy or a I don't know, postman or something. And, but my focus, it needed to shift. It's a dangerous place to be. 
See, Jesus came to give me life and life in all its fullness, and John 10, 10 tells us that. And I wasn't living in that fullness. I, needed, I realized that the enemy was using my discontentment to keep me paralyzed and keep me still and stop me from living my life. And allow, it was robbing and stealing me. But I kind of made the decision on that, in that moment to, to write, okay, I'm going to stop this. And I'm going to try and move forward. But I've done a lot of things since then. And God's still teaching me. I'm still on a journey. But I really realized that the enemy was just whispering stuff in my ear that I was taking in that was paralyzing me. And I think there'll be people here today that will identify with that and experience that in their own life. I needed to change my heart and I needed him to teach me that actually I now believe that for me, being single is God's best for me. Being single right now today is God's best for me. It's God's best for my life. Is that always easy? Do I always live in the good of it? No, but I know it's his best for me. I don't want to waste my life. So I've chosen not to begrudge my singleness, and I give it to him. I lay it down. I lay down my frustrations. I still have my bad days. I still have my struggles. I'm going to be real with you. I still have days where I find it really hard, really, really hard, particularly for me. I can't hold a newborn baby. Can't do it. I can't do it. It triggers something deep, deeply, deeply painful. I mean, if it's a niece or nephew, I'll do it, but whoo. It'll be something different for you, maybe, but for me, I have to protect myself from it. I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'll admire them from afar. So I still have my battles, but I am absolutely determined, absolutely determined. I want my singleness to count for the kingdom. I'm not going to let the enemy rob and steal from me anymore. I love the freedom that being single gives me. I don't have, I don't have kids. I have a cat, being a woman, you know. So what we do... So I have a cat. I get to pour out my affection and my love on him. He's great. But I have freedom. I have freedom that my friends don't have. And they're up to their elbows in nappies and stuff. I get to go anywhere. I can do anything for Jesus. And I just give it all to him. And yes, it's still a struggle. But my relationship with Jesus is precious because of that. He's chosen to keep me to himself. Um, so that's been kind of some of my journey. As I say, I'm still struggling. I'm still working it through with God. But that's where I'm at. And I'll come back to that again later on. And we'll look at that stop waiting, start living. And we'll just spend some time just, just uh, with God and just work that one through ourselves. But that's my story. I'm going to hand over to Matt, who's going to come up and share some of his now. If you give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Give me one second. Can I give you your Bible? Okay, uh, hello everybody, my name's Matt. Um, I'm from the Beacon Church in Camberley, um, and I serve on the youth team there. I serve down the tent doing after hours as well. Um, and I recognize that I am fairly young, and I'm sure there's some people younger than me in here, and I'm certain there's a lot of people who are slightly older than me as well. Um, what I want to do today is just share with you my experience of singleness, um, which as Kyra has already said, is probably different from a lot of you. Um, but I've very recently walked through it. Um, I've very recently walked through the valley of it, as Carl's kind of described, and almost God's been walking with me and it, uh, has been in it as well. And um, just to share my experience, hopefully we'll be able to encourage you, challenge you maybe a little bit, um, if you might be in a similar place or if you can relate. 
So as I've said, 26 years old, I've been in church all my life. I'm third generation New Frontiers. My granddad was a New Frontiers pastor. My dad is a New Frontiers pastor. I'm not. Um, but we don't know what will happen in the future. Um, it's been in church um, all your life. It comes with a certain pressure. I came through children's work, youth ministry, slightly older than youth ministry, and now getting further away from it. Um, there comes a pressure to get married. As soon as you turn 18, you know, everyone starts getting hitched around you. All my friends got married or getting married. Um, my young people started getting married. You know, guys who I discipled, I could see, and I've been to quite a few of their weddings, which is a privilege. It really is to see them kind of find someone they're going to spend their life with and be a part of that wedding. But there's also a little bit of like, ah, that, that's hard a little bit too. Um, friends around me who I would see getting married. I was quite judgmental. I thought, mm, I think I'm serving God better than they are. I think my walk with Jesus is better than they, theirs is. How come they get to be married and I don't? There's this, I had this kind of selfish idea that because I kind of thought I had a really close, intimate relationship with God, that that somehow meant I deserved the top prize in the church, which was a wife and a family. And, you know, that's just not true. Again, towards the end of last year, I had a really kind of just emotionally challenging time where my younger sister got married, and she married one of my best friends. And that day was one of, like, absolute joy to see my best friend come to be a part of my family, my sister getting married, but equally like, she's my little sister. And for me, there's no prospect of marriage at the moment. There's no girlfriend, no prospect of a girlfriend. Um, I live in a town um, in Camberley. All the girls my age have either gone to university, come back um, married, or they're my young people, and that's uh, a no-go zone, um, <laughs> which I think you'll be encouraged to hear. Um, what I found myself doing is just looking to the other relationships in my life and putting a really high expectation on them because I was looking for this kind of sense that oh, I'm missing something. I felt like I was lost. Oh, this person has this relationship that I don't have and I felt really like lost by that. And I was looking to these other friends in my life to kind of fill that void and they just constantly found it unfulfilling. Like, and I don't, know, I don't know why. I don't know why that was my a response to being single, but looking to other people to try and fulfill this, I don't know, intimacy that I was missing from a spouse, this kind of sense of knowing someone so closely that you share your everything with them. I, I didn't know what that looked like, but I was just, I heard it often. Um, so I was looking for that and I just didn't find it. And I got to the point where I was walking around London from appointment to appointment at work. And I was just, I was in tears. It was like in December, so it was quite cold. So I had lots of clothes on, I had a big hood up and I was kind of head down. But I just had to compose myself to go into this next appointment I had. Then I'd walk out and I'd be like, oh, again. And then get to the next one. I just text a friend, I was like, dude, I'm really struggling today. Can you just pray for me? And I didn't say anything, but I really got to a low point. Um, the following day for me, I was going to a football game with one of my young people. And I was just sharing a little bit about them. We do life together. I try and be as honest as I can with them. And I just shared, you know, I'm just struggling with some stuff. 
you know, there was a number of things going on in my life at the time, which was quite hard. Work was hard. I was having some issues in church, which was hard. I was really batting with the idea that being single. Um, and he just said something very simple, but really profound to me. He said, I think, you know, when you've got problems, you just need to magnify God and not your problems. And when you magnify God, your problems look smaller. If you magnify your problems, then you lose sight of how big God is. And I was just like, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you could say that. But it's not, it didn't make its way from my head to my reality at all. I didn't live in that. I didn't live in the truth of that. And I just felt really challenged by him. You know, he's a young guy who I'm meant to be kind of discipling, and he's kind of like, whoa, knocked me on my, on my backside. I'm like, yeah, you've, you've, you've got it there. So what I did is I went away. I escaped. I went to uh, the Lake District. I went to an abandoned kind of cottage up there with no electricity, no running water, and I just got some time alone with God. You know, I went and intentionally set aside time to sort out my relationship with God because what the problem was was not not who he was, but who I thought he was. And I just needed to recalibrate. I needed to magnify him more, put him in his right place, and then look at my life. And in the light of who he is, address the things that was going on in my life. And singleness was one of them. I said there was a number of other things, but for the sake of this talk, we'll, we'll stick to that one. I found real peace in just in scripture. I love the Bible. I like to teach the Bible. I like to get into it. I believe it is sufficient for every area of our life. There's an answer to our problems in there. I really take it seriously. Um, and I found real peace in it. I found the answers to some of my problems and just a real sense of actually now I've, I've got this wrong, a real challenge. And like I said, I recalibrated entirely. And I came back and you know, there's still some challenges, but I'm now in a good of that. And I feel I'm in a much better place now to handle everything else. Um, I felt there was a void. As I said before, you know, I felt empty. I was seeking something that I thought marriage brought, which actually didn't. And I'd heard stuff like Cara said, John 10, 10, I come to give you life and life in the full, or some translations say life, abundant life, you know. Um, and I'd placed my own expectation of that fullness. I'd, I'd defined that myself rather than letting scripture actually define what that means. And I thought, when Jesus says, I come to give you life and life in the full, that must mean uh, marriage, family, and all that comes with it. And actually, I just felt challenged that actually, that's not what the Bible says. Um, and I reread it, and I think sometimes we get into the habit of putting our own interpretation into scripture when we need to let scripture speak for itself. Um, so that's what I kind of got into the mentality of doing. Okay, I'm going to go without my 26 years of church background um, as a bias. I'm going to go and look freshly at scripture and see what it says about singleness and about some other things. Um, so I started to read Ephesians. Uh, it's a book I really love. And I found some prayers of Paul, um, which were just really significant to me. And I, I kind of find that as the key to finding this spiritual fullness. Um, I should have had my scriptures out. Basically, in Ephesians 3, it talks about, and Paul prays this incredible prayer over the believers. And there's another prayer at the start of Ephesians, which I'll read as well. And it just, it stuck with me. Uh, I keep, I pray it at every prayer meeting. I say it to my guys constantly every week. This is what my life is about now. Um, the prayer goes like this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I didn't quite know what that meant. I don't know what being filled with the very fullness of God looks like. But I know that God is good. And if I can be filled with the very fullness of God, I know that will satisfy me. And so that really grabbed me. I was like, oh, okay, I need to get into this. I need to be more intentional about just pursuing this relationship with God. So then I flicked back a few pages and I saw this other prayer, which I, again, I feel is the practical application of this seeking God first. Um, and it prays this. It said, I keep asking that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. And that's, that's the key. That's the crux of it all. That in this pursuit of satisfaction, in this pursuit of kind of fullness, in pursuit of him, you need to, you need to get to know him better. That's, that's, the, that's the really, that's the, the only thing. I, if you walked out with nothing else, if you just go with a, a desire and intention to get to know him better, then you'll be blessed. Um, there's a real kind of in, what's the word? There's a real call to go after it as well. Paul would pray it over his believers, but I, I found that I need to pray it for myself. I, I got on my knees, you know, Kara said, often these kind of times, you just get on your knees and you need to pray. I'm praying, God, I need to know you better. I want to know you more. I want to know you more intimately. And that's, that's what we need to do. Don't be passive about it. God's not just going to all of a sudden drop kind of some fresh revelation. You just go after it, seek it, pray that he fills you with this spirit of wisdom of revelation. It is a Holy Spirit action that we can go after. So I did. I started praying that for myself. I started praying that for my young people and the guys that I directly discipled. Because, you know, one of the battles was, like, how can I get these guys to love Jesus more? You know, how can they go on further in their faith? And that's what I really wanted to see. And I felt it came down to this. God was like, don't, don't pray that they get to know. Don't, don't pray that they behave better or that they stop doing certain things. Pray that they know me better. Pray that they know more about me. And that, that's the key. And I've seen genuine fruit in that. In my own life, just real fruit. And in the lives of the young people I look after, just a change of heart, a change of action, a change of attitude. You know, I'm so proud of the guys who um, I get to spend time with. I found that actually I can become satisfied in God. And that is key. This, the idea of fullness, I feel, just talks about it's links with satisfaction. You know, the two words kind of go together. Um, that only when we are kind of satisfied in him can we really start going after other things. And it's not an easy thing. And I don't want this to be another seminar where someone comes in and just says, oh, the answer is knowing God more. Because that's not very helpful. And I've been in seminars before where people just do that and you walk out and like, oh, great, okay, how do I get to know God more? And honestly, it's just about getting time in the book, getting time on your knees and being intentional about it, going and praying to him, asking people, get around good people who you trust and who you know, get to know God more um, just through, you know, we've got the Bible. He tells us a lot of stuff about himself in there and it's all good, you know, get into the word, get into the scripture and that's, that'll be a good thing for you. Um, we are created people, and we're created to bring glory to God. And there's a John Piper quote, which I love, and it says, um, God is most, most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. 
And I, I think that's great. I want to give glory to God with my life. I want my life to count. I want my singleness to count. I want to give glory to God in all of that. But that starts with being satisfied in him. And that's not God come and please, like, please me or God come and give me everything that I want. You know, the, the misinterpretation of John 10.10 10 is that he gives us everything that we want. And it's just not true. If you look at the teaching of Jesus, when he goes after his disciples, he says, you know, the son of man hasn't got a place to lay his head tonight, but come follow me anyway. He says, you're going to humble yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This following of Jesus, this discipleship that he's calling us upon is not one where he just gives us nice things. There's a challenge. There's a real challenge to it. And for me right now, this is you know, one of the challenges that I'm facing. But within that, there's blessing too. And one of the things I was struggling with was my job. And I laid that down and God has really blessed me. I've got a new job and it's so much better. And I start when I get back from West Point. You know, just one of the areas where God's really recognized an area in my life that I was struggling with and blessed me. So yeah, he doesn't answer all of our wants and needs and give you everything that you want. But you know, he will bless you. If you put him first, if you seek his kingdom, if you're about his glory, then he will. He'll give you life to fun. He'll give you this abundant life. I challenge you, maybe you need to recalibrate um, your own relationship with God. Maybe you just need to check, what do, I, what, what do I think biblical fullness is or fullness of God? Is it what the Bible tells us or have I put my own version into this? Have I added something on? Is it God plus this means happiness or is it just God and God alone is satisfaction? And if you can get there, then I can only say from my own experience, but you will be blessed by that. Um, again, I think something else that sums this up, or a lifestyle up that is quite key, is another one of my young person people shared this with me. He kind of flicks through Instagram and you know saw stuff that jumps out to him, and he shares it with me. He's like, "Oh, I saw this. I thought this is quite cool." And it says, um, "If Jesus was all I'd have, I'd have everything that I need. So if Jesus was all I had, I'd have everything that I need." And this that's a really good way to look at our lives and say, if everything else was taken away from me if my new job was taken away from me my family my car everything was taken away from me but I had Jesus can you can you still say that's all I need and that's where you want to be that's the goal that's let's strive for that and it's just a it's a simple thought that you've probably heard and been told a number of times but it's got to get out of your head into your reality you've got to believe it you've got to start to own this um and yeah that's the key to kind of really moving forward It was kind of, I said, a God thing, really, that all of this came about because I was at, I was battling through this at the end of last year, and I felt like I came to the good of it, kind of in the start of this year, January, February. It was around March time. I got this random phone call after church one week, um, and just someone just said, "Are you single?" It was a guy I knew. He's like, "Are you still single?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." But it was a strange co- it was a strange question to be asked from a friend of my parents. Um, and normally it's like, oh, we know this person. Do you want to go on a blind date? Um, but it wasn't. It's like, um, we've been asked to do the seminar at West Point. I wonder if you'd like to sh- just share your experience on it. You know, you're a young Christian guy who's single. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. Um, one of the battles I was having with church was, you know, I wasn't, I feel I have a gift to communicate with people. And um, I wasn't really getting opportunity to do that. You know, I was, got to speak to my young people, but I was kind of battling with God, like, God, is this the right place for me? Do I need to move church? Do I need to do this? Blah, 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 blah. And then I laid that down again, and this opportunity came, came my way. And 
it's really fresh for me because I really did walk through a, a valley last year, but I've come out of it like with this opportunity just to share with some people about how my journey, how my how my walk's gone, and hopefully that will help you. And yeah, again, just God honouring my sacrifice and laying down some stuff. He's actually come back and said, no, here, have an opportunity. Come and speak to some people about it. Tell your story, um, which has been great. Um, so in light of that, I was like, okay, I need to look at what the Bible says about being single because I'd not really looked at it, you know. I looked at all the other bits, but I thought, oh, no, what does the Bible say? So in 1 Corinthians 7, um, if you're single, you've probably read this before. If it's an issue, you've probably read this before. Um, Paul talks a lot about relationships, about marriage. Um, I just want to read a little part of it that stood out to me. Um, because I'm not going to go into all of it, uh, because I've not really got time. But it's from verse 29. It says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. He can please the Lord. But a, married, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And, in the, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. And, and I want to pick out a few things in there that really stand out to me. First of all, is that the time is short. He starts by saying that. Um, and a, another part of scripture, in James 4.14, it says, um, life is like a mist. Our life is a mist. It's here today and it's gone by the afternoon. Yesterday morning, it was misty. Uh, we got out, got out of the tents and there was kind of a fog around, but by 10 o'clock it was disappeared. And our lives on this earth are, are like that. In the, in the grand scheme of eternity, we've got a very short period of time on in this earth. And this present world is passing away. You know, there won't be marriage in heaven. If you're married now, that's fantastic for now, but that won't be the case in heaven. There's, the, the marriage on earth is pointing to a greater marriage which is to come. Um, so let's, let's not get caught up in this idea that marriage is everything right here, right now. It is good, and I don't want to bash marriage at all. And, you know, hopefully one day I might get married. Um, but it's pointing to something else, um, and we should have that in mind. We need to recognize how time is short here and not get too distracted in waiting for this spouse or waiting to get married in order that we can achieve or do something that God might have in, in line for us. Um, so, yeah, he starts at the very start by saying the time is short. Um, and then he moves on and kind of goes through a few other things. And the second bit that stood out to me, really, um, was that he doesn't want us to worry. So I don't want you to be concerned for earthly wars. I want you to be free from earthly concerns. Because a married man is worried for his wife, whereas uh, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's work. You know, it says about married women, you'd be undividedly devoted to the Lord. That's where we want to be. That's what we want to be doing. If you're single in this room, be undividedly devoted to the Lord and his work. I have the real blessing, and I can honestly say that, of being annoyingly available to my young people. 
I will be texting them. I'll be on at them. Like, can we meet up? Can we go down to park? You know, all my friends are married, so they've got boring stuff to do. I can go play football, do FIFA, all this kind of stuff, which I can do because I'm single. And, you know, that might seem a bit, oh, okay, I, I, that's not your context. But find what is. For me, it's youth work. I can be annoyingly available, and I love that. I love I can drop anything and go spend time with them. It's great. It's been such a privilege for me to see young people grow um, because of the time I can spend with them. And that's, that's what I want you to try and think about in your own lives, in your own context, is what is my context? How and can I best serve God with undivided devotion? Because we're on a mission. It talks about in Matthew 28 is the Great Commission, and I think Terry said it yesterday, that the mission of God, that no, a church doesn't have a mission, the mission has a church. So there's kind of a no out for us. If you're a part of the church, you're a part of this mission. So you've got to find your role in there somewhere. And it looks different for every one of you. For me, right now, right here, it's about getting alongside some young men and seeing them release into their gifting. And I encourage you to find that. But don't, don't bypass the mission of God just because you're single. If anything, you're going to be more available because of it. You could be a bigger blessing because of it. Like we often, and church does often, look to the married. It looks to the married kind of guys and girls for, for leadership because, you know, they're, they're setting this example of what it looks like to be married. But as Kara said, there's a growing number of single people. And they need to be led and led effectively and led well. No, I've seen the best example of kind of family life modeled by a single lady in our church who gets alongside some of the younger, younger kids and they absolutely love and adore her where her parents want to engage with church. She kind of frees them up to do that because these kids run in and run straight to her. I know that's brilliant. She has her own kids, but they're grown now. And now she's getting involved, you know, looking after, helping. And these kids absolutely love her. And I think that is the best model I can kind of see of church family and how single people can fit into that. That we can actually, even if you have this heart for a family, you can be a part of the family of God. Broader, it's bigger. And let's go after that. Let's seek that. Find what your role is in this mission of God. You know, w one last thing before I hand back to Kara. There was a covenant made with Noah in the Old Testament about be fruitful and multiply. And that was the, the instrument for the growth of the people of God at the time. To fill this earth with God's people. And it was kind of through having babies. Um, and that, that's how they chose to grow the people of God. And that was a married uh, act person's activity. Um, for us in this great commission that we've got that Jesus set, up, set us, it's go make disciples of all nations. You know? And actually as a single person, I can be more available to go. I can be more available to disciple. And I can be very much a part of that. Um, and that, for me, is a real blessing. Um, Paul encourages people to be single as he was. He went everywhere. Um, he, he spread the gospel greater than anybody else, probably on this earth. He set up the, the church that we're a part of today. And, you know, he was a single guy. Don't limit what you think you can do just because of your singleness. I came to a place of real low, found satisfaction in God, and now I feel a greater releasing into what God's called me to do. Um, so yeah, that, that's all from me for now. We might come back to some questions later. So thank you for your time. That was brilliant. Thanks, Matt. So two 
very different journeys that Matt and I have been on, but kind of the end result is the same in that we've both found a new sense of freedom and a new sense of identity and a new sense of, of calling. So two very different people, different ages, different backgrounds, different journeys, but kind of in the same direction that God is, is sending us at the moment. So hopefully that's been really helpful, um, as well as the biblical context. Uh, it's really helpful to understand where Matt's been through. And also just look at the truth of the Bible and what the Bible says about singleness and about marriage and how actually the Bible sees them as equal. And they are two equal gifts. And I know it can be really painful. I've, I've, I've said it myself and people have said it to me. Singleness is not a gift. But it is. It is a gift and as is marriage. And they are both equal. They're both equal. So one of the things I want to, to look on, uh, moving on to, as I was praying through how to sort of cover the last session, I felt God say two things to me. He knows I like alliteration. So surrender our singleness. I felt him say to us, he wants me to speak on surrendering our singleness this afternoon. And then about daring to dream. Daring to dream. So once we've surrendered our singleness, we can dare to dream. And hopefully this won't be too much of a gear change and it will follow on uh, by what follow on from what Matt and I have both said. So I think through, through um, my experience of, of God speaking to me about stop waiting, start living, I had to actually surrender my singleness to God, and I continue to do that. And it's a bit like forgiveness. You know, if you've been through um, perhaps a, an issue in your life where you need to forgive somebody or forgive yourself, it's often a process, isn't it? We don't suddenly lay down that forgiveness, and then that's it. It's fixed forever. Sometimes it takes time and we have to come back to it and we have to choose to forgive again. And I think there's times when we have to choose to surrender. And it might be here that actually you're not single and, or you don't have an issue with your singleness, but there's other things in your life that you feel you need to surrender. So hopefully this will, will help you too. And I think by, by surrendering um, our plans for our life and accepting that, although it might not be what we'd have chosen, our, se our season of singleness, however long it might be, is, is God's best for us. It's God's best for us. So we need to, I think for me, I went through a season of, of um, almost opening a book in front of God and saying, God, I thought we'd be on chapter six by now. We're still on chapter one. Was I thought I'd be married. I thought I'd have three kids by now. I'd be off doing this or leading the ladies' ministry, whatever it was, I don't know. I just felt that God hadn't quite caught up with my plan for my life. So actually I got to a point where I needed to lay that plan down. And there might be some of us that maybe need to do that today. And for me, an important part of that was actually processing the disappointment of not being where I felt I should be. And we don't really have time to unpack it massively, uh, but there was actually a seminar last year on uh, processing disappointment. So I'd encourage you to listen to that or look up anything that Wendy Mann's written on it. She teaches on it quite a lot um, and probably far better than me. But we're just going to touch on it really briefly on how to process our disappointment. And it may be something that you can do right here, right now, today. It may be something that you need to go away and spend some time doing uh, with God. And it may be a process and you may need to ask somebody to help you with that. And that's fine too. So just to see, go back to the, the situation I was in. I was on my knees crying out to God and he spoke to me and said, stop waiting, start living. And actually at that point, what I had to do was go through a process. And that process, the step number one was telling God how I felt, which I don't always find that easy. Um, but I was on my knees. I was pouring out my heart to God. I was being really honest. I was expressing my frustration and my pain and, and asking that terrible why question. There's no peace in asking the question why, I've discovered. But God, why am I still single? Why have you not brought a man into my life? Why am I not a mother? Why is my life on hold? Why does it hurt so much when I see babies at church? 
Why is this not happening to me? So I processed all of that and expressed it all to God. So I think we just need to be honest. We just need to learn to be honest. And the best way I've found to do that actually is to read the Psalms because David is really brutally honest with God. So if you're struggling to express that and express how you feel, I'd say dig into the Psalms and find a Psalm that connects with how you're feeling and and read that and start there. So that'll be step one. Tell God how you feel. Step two is to get real and get honest. I got real with my emotions, which I don't find that easy. Uh, In fact, on this occasion, I had a glass of wine beforehand. I'm not going to say that's definitely what you should do, but it helped me. Um, I got real. I got honest with my emotions, and I connected with the pain in my heart. And I'm I'm still learning to do this. I'm still on a journey, right? But you've you've got to do it. It's really important to be real because it gets, gets rid of that pain that's clogging up our hearts. And it attacks our faith. The pain attacks our faith. So actually speaking it out really, really helps. It's really important. And as I did that, I was able then to declare truth and start declaring truth. And that's going to be step three. So I began to speak the truth of who God is. His heart towards me. Father, thank you that you're good, that you're full of grace, that you've got good plans for me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that even though it feels like no guy has chosen me, you have chosen me. You've predestined me. You have plans and purposes for me. And as we declare the truth about who God is and thank him, it goes really deep. Something supernatural happens. And it can restore our faith. And that's what happened to me. It restored my faith. And it strengthened me. It might be for you that actually you need to dig into God's word to really know those truths. Maybe you're just in a place at the moment where you're just really struggling I would say, as Matt was saying, dig into God's word. Find out what he thinks about you. Find out what he thinks about you. Another thing that Matt touched on is revelation. As we grow in our revelation and our knowledge of the goodness of God, the Holy Spirit's revelation comes. So it's not just about reading God's word, and that is vital, but through God's word, he brings us revelation. And as the Holy Spirit does that, it changes something in us and enables us to lay down our right to understand. And this, for me, was a really hard step. It's a really hard step. But as God brings that revelation of who you are and what he thinks about you and who he is, more importantly, almost, than who you are, it enables you to lay down your understanding. And that might take a bit of time. It took a bit of time for me to lay down my understanding of the situation. But when you do that, it gives us a true peace that surpasses our understanding, which Philippians 4, 5, and 7 tells us, doesn't it? We can have a peace that transcends our understanding of the situation. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He promises us a supernatural peace. A supernatural peace. And it's important that we, we choose to lay these things down. And we choose to believe God's word and that the Holy Spirit will bring us that revelation. That's a really quick whistle stop. I appreciate, and you're probably furiously scribbling notes, but I would encourage you uh, to listen to the seminar from last year on dealing with disappointment. I think Wendy's man, Wendy Mann's book as well deals with it in a, a chapter as well, um, so you can read that for yourself. But it's a really important step. It's a really important step to be able to lay it down. And for me, sometimes I lay it at the foot of the cross and I surrender my, my ability to understand and choose my life myself. And then other times I go and pick it back up again. So maybe that you have to go and revisit it. But it's really powerful. 
You know, the enemy wants to rob and steal from us. He wants to rob and steal. Because he knows that if we really know who we are, if we really believe who we are as children of God, we're powerful as single people. We're really powerful. And we're about a great work and a great commission. And if you are married or you've been married, you will know full well that you can't get everything that you need from one other human being, but you can from God. You can from God. So my final point, dare to dream. I want to lift our eyes with our new understanding of our biblical context of singleness. If we manage to surrender our singleness, process our disappointment, what are we going to do with it? We're going to dream. And I know for some of us, just I'm going to be honest, some of us are going to be sat here thinking, but Cara, my dream, my dream is to be a wife and a mother or a husband and a father. And if that's the case, then you can ask God for his dream for your life. So don't discount yourself from what I'm going to say. So take this new understanding of a biblical context of singleness. We've surrendered our disappointment and we're moving on to dream big. Let's have this biblical context, this biblical understanding. It brings us security and freedom. It brings us security and freedom. And when you have those things, it helps you to step out in faith. I've got to tell you, I'm pretty nervous right now. I'm about to leave a church I've been part of since 2001. There were six of us when we planted it. been part of it since the beginning. I'm stepping away from that. I'm moving away from my family. I'm moving away from all of my friends to join a staff team on a church where I know about eight people currently. Some of them are amazing. I'm not saying they're horrible. They're great. But it's a huge step for me. But my fresh revelation, my fresh understanding of who I am in Christ as a single woman, I'm going to take risks. And I tell you, when you do, it's really addictive. So be warned. Be warned. But take risks. The message that we have, as Matt was saying, is countercultural. And we have this singleness culture, this massive demographic shift in our society. And I'm not, I'm not condoning flirt to convert where you go out and try and flirt with people to get them in the kingdom. But we are the most appropriate and right people to be reaching the singles in our society because we can understand to a point their context. We need to make sure that we're in our churches seeking out single people that are coming to visit. We need to be out there trying to meet single people to get them into our church, to get them to meet Jesus. Go meet them where they are. Go meet them where they are. It's a massive mission that we've got an opportunity to be part of, haven't we? Thousands of lives transformed. How's that going to happen? By each of us playing a part and finding out where the singles are in our community and meeting with them, finding out about them, caring about them, helping them to see the freedom that they have. The enemy wants to come and rob and steal from them too. And we have an amazing message, an amazing message to share with them. So let's get out there and do it. So I just want us to take a couple of minutes before we close for q and I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing, like raise your hand or anything like that. But I just want us to pause just for a couple of minutes. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any lies that you might be believing. And I want you to break agreement with them and replace them with truth. So a lie I was believing, I'm not chosen, no guy has chosen me. The truth is, God has chosen me. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit if there's an area of your life where you've been waiting. 
I tell you, it's subtle. You might have even never said it in your head, never mind out loud. But is there an area of your life where you've been waiting? And if you feel ready, you can confess it to God and surrender it to him. I just want to close our eyes just for a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you a chance to ask the Holy Spirit those two questions and to respond to him. And then we'll close. John 6:25 says this. I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can satisfy you. If we come to him, we will find satisfaction. And he comes to give us life to the full. So I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. I thank you for uh, the love that you have for each individual person in this room. I thank you that you've known them since the beginning of time, that you've predestined them. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit's revelation this morning. Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would bring truth into the hearts and minds of us in this room, Lord God, that you would help us to surrender our life to you in the understanding of who we are. Lord, and we pray that you would help us to dare to dream big for you. Lord God, that we would be inspired to uh, step out in faith and take risks for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Chris. Wonderful. It's amazing isn't it? opening up their lives and just sharing with us. It's so such a blessing. So thank you so much to you both. We've um, we've had a little flurry of questions, and if you've come in from the start on the board here, we've got a textual question. So feel free to still do that during this Q and A time. We'll, we'll aim to try to get through them all. But uh, if we don't quite get to your question, or if you feel like your question isn't answered in in the way, or you've got an an add on question to it, then. Uh, I'm sure Cara and Matt will be happy to chat to you at the end or talk to a church leader or someone you trust at home uh, or, you know, back at your tent as well. But uh, let's, here you go. Um, what's the, do you want to both just kind of stand up here and then we don't have to get you up and down? So um, here's one. <laughs> How do you know if God has given you the gift of singleness? So I've never met anyone that says that. Um, in fact, John Stott, when he was in his 70s, was interviewed and, and said that he's had amazing freedom to do amazing things for God, but he's never, ever felt cool to it. So I can't speak from my own experience, but I think if you were, I think God, God would speak to you. And I think he would probably speak to you through his word and he would speak to you prophetically as well. And that would probably be affirmed by other people. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily if you're called to something. I've heard people say to me, oh, if, you're, if you're called to be single, then you'd be all right with it. Not necessarily sure I agree with that. Um, I don't think that would be right. But yeah, I think you, it would probably be a prophetic thing and, and uh, a God moment in, this, in the scripture. Uh, yeah, in terms of the gift of singleness, uh, I don't necessarily even think that it being a gift is a life sentence either. I think if you're currently single, you can see it as a gift right now. Um, and yeah, you might end up getting married one day, but right now I'm fully living in the, the blessings of the gift. So if you're single in here right now, I say you're called to be single right now because that's where you are. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a life sentence. And But some people, it, that sounds horrible, but it doesn't. some people, they will be single all their life and that's not a bad thing. But I don't put a kind of a time frame on it. It might be a seasonal thing for you. Um, but if you are single, it is a gift and it is a blessing for right now as well. Um, that's the first thought. 
Great. What about, uh, can you give any advice about dealing with, you know, if, if you're single, maybe you're choosing to be single, or maybe you haven't, maybe you're divorced, but you've got no kids. How, how do you deal with the disappointment from your, your parents or your grandparents for not producing children, grandchildren, etc.? Have, have you faced that? What advice would you give to anyone here that might be dealing with, you know, pressure from family in that area? My parents are here. So I'm just going to say they've never put me under any pressure. Um, I have two brothers that thankfully have reproduced many children. Um, I think you just have to be really honest with your family. Um, I think honesty is always best in a family situation. And uh, I think you need to be honest with where you're at. And they need to be honest with, with themselves. I think a conversation often is what's missing in these situations. So I would say create a conversation, create opportunities. Um, and just be honest with them. They, I think there's also often with these sorts of pressures, it's not meant as a pressure from them, but we receive it as that. So maybe think about what you're receiving by what they're saying versus what they actually mean. So just settle in your own heart. Is it a pressure I'm receiving that they're not actually giving? Because sometimes I think we can put that on ourselves. That's certainly been my experience in other areas of my life. Um, so here's one, another practical one. Um, so... Uh, you know, what about if I'm if I'm single? Let's say I'm a single guy. What's the best way for me to talk to and build relationships? Not you know attractive relationships or uh, marriage or anything like that, but relationship with people of the opposite sex. How do I just be friends without being more than that? How do I kind of approach that whole area? It's like a can of worms. It'd be helpful for guys as well. You know, I'm I'm a married man in the church. How do I build good relationships with women in the church that maybe are single as well? Um, honestly, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I'm terrible at building relationships with the opposite sex. Um, and I always have been. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, so honestly, I can't help on that one. Um, be honouring, I guess. You know, treat your young women as sisters and older women as mothers. That's scripture. Um, th that's all I've really got to say on that one, I'm afraid. Um, if you find the answer, please let me know. Um, <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> okay, I'll try and add something to that. I think, um, I think the brothers and sisters point is a great one. I do have some male friends, and, and they're like brothers to me, and I'm like a sister to them, and it's very platonic, and it's really it's honest, and, and they're great. If I've got a plus one to a wedding, I really don't want to go on my own. Um, so I have those kind of friends, and I think for me, it's about treating them like a brother. But if I'm, if I'm not sure that I don't want to give them the wrong signal, I would probably... If I wanted to get to know them a bit, I'd, I'd invo involve them in a group of people rather than saying, hey, do you want to go out for a coffee? Because a girl's going to be like, hmm, coffee? Possibly. But I would also say that, to be honest, I think guys put themselves under pressure and think if they, if I ask a girl for a coffee, she's going to think it's a proposal. Um, and offer it, it's true, right, girls? Yeah. But it, that's not often not the case. So I would say if you really just want to get to know someone... Just ask them and don't imagine that they think you, you want to put a ring on it. Just ask them. Dating advice, what am I Dating advice yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose groups, you know, getting to know each other in groups as well uh, is always good. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, so, uh, I guess a bit of a personal question. In the 10 years I've been single since my divorce, I've met and dated Christian men who have turned out not to not be 
very Christian in their words or their actions. It's been many false starts. I struggle to see what I'm meant to learn from this and why God would allow such a thing. That's a tough one. I, I can share that experience. I've done internet dating. It was scary and painful. Um, and I learned a lot through it. And I think, you know, we all walk with a limp in life and people experience different things. And I think I've learned a lot through those experiences. Um, I've learned lessons about how I might do it differently another time. So I'm not belittling it. It's incredibly, incredibly painful because you have to make yourself vulnerable, don't you, to get to know somebody. You've got to make that step. And if you don't make the step, then nothing's ever going to happen. So I would, I would implore you to, to pray about it, talk to a friend about it, speak to God about it, but don't let it stop you making that step the next time. I think, you know, God doesn't promise us a perfect life. And even in a marriage context, all it is basically is two sinners. So you're going to get let down when you're married, never mind when you're dating. Um, that's not that encouraging, is it? But, uh, do you see where I'm going with this? I think I might just hand the mic to someone else before I make a fool of myself. Um, so how can I persuade married friends to stop feeling sorry for me and to recognise... My purpose and my... Uh, it seems like it res- resonates. <laughs> How can I get them to recognise my purpose and my gifting? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think this question through. So there's three parts to it, right? So how can I help my friends to see, see me as... Stop feeling sorry for me. Um, so I think, again, an honest conversation with them about how you're feeling and helping them to see that you are happy. So I've had situations where I've heard, uh, I'm going to get personal now, sorry, Mum. I've heard my godmother say in front of my mum, oh, you know, so-and-so son's finally got married, they must be really happy. And, and I've said to my mum, please, will you make sure that all your friends know that I am genuinely happy and I don't want my mum to feel like I'm not living my life and getting on with it and that they can't be happy for me because my parents want me to be happy, so I am. So I think sometimes it's just a conversation with people and helping them to, to know that you are happy um, when you are and celebrate with that. And I think if they're good friends, they'll, they'll understand that and they'll go with it. I think in terms of your gifting and your calling, I think sometimes... As single people, we do get overlooked, as Matt said. Um, so, again, I think it's just an honest conversation with the leadership team in your church about your gifting and what your heart is. And I mean, Mel, I came to Mel's seminar the other day, and she went to her pastor with an issue she thought needed fixing, and he basically said, well, here you go then. So I think sometimes we just, again, need to have that conversation with people. And uh, I, I think... I think we're learning as churches. I think we've got a bit of a way to go. I think we're learning about singles. I think we're learning about, um, I say we in terms of leadership team. So I'm on Guy's leadership team. He's put me in there as a single woman. That doesn't mean that I have to remain single because I'm on Guy's leadership team. And if I suddenly have a husband, it discounts me from my role. So he's making a statement by putting a woman who's single in his leadership team. So my prayer and my hope is that that will filter out through our churches and that we will have more freedom to use our gifting and to, and to be used in our churches. That will be my prayer. Um, yeah, so I, I have quite a few friends who are now coupled up and married. Um, and it, it is about honesty, isn't it, really, and just telling them, 
you know, I'm cool with this. And they might be like, are you sure? They don't believe in it. It is very patronizing. But I, I, the best way I can do it is I make, make light of it. I try and keep it quite funny. I've got quite a few friends who are trying to wingman me and kind of introduce me to people, which can be like even more patronizing. But, you know, I find I'm very happy, as Cara said, where I am. And I know who I am and I know what I'm about and what I've got to do. And when you concentrate on that and get that sorted first, they'll start to see that in you as well. It's about, as kind of what I tried to explain earlier, getting to grips with your own relationship with God, getting satisfied in him, then your gifting will then shine out, obviously, and you'll then get used and you'll get opportunity. Um, I'll say on that. Um, so this is a question from a married couple. And um, it's about like how to fully integrate singles into their home lifestyle, into friendship groups with married couples. Um, and is, is it best, it's kind of like they're asking for tips, you know, is it best to invite singles around with other singles? But does that then look like date, you know, trying to mix, fix them up? Or singles with couples and mix it up? Like what, what's, what's really bad for married couples to do? What, what would be helpful is the kind of question. What's really bad is if you get married, you have a table for the singles at the reception and you put them boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. Please don't do that. <laughs> Phil Moore. <clears throat> I, think, um, I think, again, have a conversation with the people that you know that are single, right? So talk to them and ask them, because I could give you my answer and Matt could give you his, but it might be different in their context. Um, so for me... I don't really like being invited around to someone's house when there's lots of other singles there because it's really awkward. Although, to be honest, there's not that many singles in my church at my age. But um, So I think for me, do you know what? I just love hanging out with people. I don't care whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're same-sex attracted, uh, whether you're whatever class you are, I don't care. I just love getting to know people. So I want married people to invite me around for me, not because they feel sorry for me. I want to come around. I want to see your real marriage. I want to see you having a Barney in the car. I want to, you know, I want to see your struggles. I want to go around at bedtime when the kids are kicking off because I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I really want kids now. So... <laughs> I need, yeah, we need you to be real. So if you're married, I would just say, you know, have that conversation and ask the people in your church because they may have a different answer. But for me, I just want you to be real and I want to be your friend. I don't care whether you're married, whether you're 25 or 85. I just, it's just about fellowship and friendship, right? Good answer. Um, I'm single. But I don't particularly struggle with it. It's mainly because I'm just young and I haven't met the right person yet and I expect to at some point. How do I prepare best for a future marriage? You know, how do I live for God now uh, in that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Do exactly what we talked about. Like, focus on your own personal relationship with God. You're single right now and get ready. Prepare be a good husband, learn how to be a good follower of Christ and then you'll be a good husband. You know, if you're a good um, yeah, servant to the church and you'll be a good servant to your wife, you know, I think by strengthening and developing and growing your own personal relationship with God, knowing who he is, then, then you'll be okay. You'll be fine for marriage. Don't think that you have to qualify yourself for marriage. So I don't think that's necessarily true. And then look for somebody who's on the same, like, 
mission as you you know you've got the same desires you've got the same um goals you want to do the same thing but at the, at the very heart of it look for someone who is equally as in love with jesus if not more in love with jesus than you are i heard someone say once to a, a young person's gathering um if you're looking to date somebody look for someone who loves god more than they love you um because then that's kind of that's going to be a good thing because there's no sense of wrong affection in that um Great, great. Just to add, if you're a female, so I heard a, um, a preach on marriage a while back, and, and uh, my pastor was talking about submission, and I was getting a bit myself and tying up in knots and thinking, gosh, you know, by then I was in my 30s, and I'm quite a strong woman, you probably worked that out, I'm quite independent, and, and I was thinking, how, how can I practice submission for marriage? Because, you know, ultimately, I want to be loved and cared for and led by a husband and I will submit to him in a godly way, right? That's what we're to do. That's what the Bible says. So how can I practice that um, as a single person who's quite strong-willed and, and confident? And, and I've learned to do that by submitting to my, my elders. It's not that I wasn't before, but I'm now viewing it as practice for marriage. So I submit to the eldership team in my church and that's my learning curve in terms of submission. And, and submission's really easy when you agree. It's when you don't agree, you suddenly realize actually... You have to kind of do that. So if you're a woman, I'd say you can learn submission through um, relationships as well outside of marriage. Excellent. Brilliant. Oops. How, how are we all doing? All right? It's tickling where you're itching or whatever. Scratching. Through, I don't know what the saying is. Something like that. Um, okay, we, we, we've got a few more. We, we've technically got to about half past. Another 15 minutes would be good. Energy still in the room. Let's keep going. All right, then. Here's a few more. How can we honour singles um, and those in seasons of singleness in our church? We're, we're very good at celebrating people that have just got married, babies, stuff like that. Um, how can we celebrate and honour those that are single that are equally going through maybe you know, good stuff with God, they're honouring him, they're, they're loving him, they're walking faithfully with him. What types of things might we do to honour them or is that patronising? You know, is that just... I think it depends on your love language. I squirm a bit when people give me compliments and honour me, so I wouldn't necessarily like that, but I get what you're, you're saying. You know, if someone's just had a baby and we celebrate it and they get meals cooked for two weeks, I'm like, I don't quite mind, actually, on the odd occasion. <laughs> someone cooking me a meal. I mean, some people take wine and chocolates around and everything. I wouldn't mind that. Um, I think for me, it's about honouring people for who they are in Christ and not what they've done or who they are on in kind of earthly relationships so I, I would want in any church I was part of to have a culture of honour that is just honouring people as being children of God and not you know in their identity in Christ and not honouring them for marriage but I don't, I don't really have an answer for that I have thought about it myself um, I don't really know what I think it just depends on the individual um, I think it's honouring people for for just following faithfully following Jesus and, and you can do that if you've been married like 70 years versus never been married so I'm not sure I can really answer it more effectively than that I don't know do you want to add anything yeah no I, I would agree I would find it very awkward if they honoured me because I was single or if I'd done anything because I was single I don't think that um, that's not my the reason I do what I do is um, because of my singleness so I think it's just right to honour families when they do um, when they have babies it's great you know children are a gift from God I, I can't think of an example where a single person would necessarily do something over and above what anybody else in the church would do just because they're single um and yeah i would find it very uncomfortable if they got me up and said thank you for being single i don't know <laughs> i'm not quite sure what that would look like but it would be it would be a bit uncomfortable i imagine 
Um, so it's kind of like two people are asking a, a similar question. Um, it, one sort of saying, and how do I deal with feelings of loneliness and isolation, especially within the church? The other angle is, um, what do I do in those moments when, I, when I'm really struggling? You know, what does not help and what does help? So it's dealing with the feelings of loneliness, isolation, and then what helps, what doesn't in those moments. I guess, again, it depends on your, your character, but I can share what helps me. Um, so I think it, you can be lonely in a room full of people, right? But for me, I think if I'm feeling lonely, I want to be around people. So I'll text. And if you've got a good friend, I, you know, invest in friendships. They don't have to be single people. Text them and say, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad day. I'm, I'm feeling lonely. And uh, hopefully they'll reply and, and speak truth over you and maybe invite you for a coffee. But I think for me, it's about, um, again, checking my checking my heart and my ears and making sure I'm not listening to lies that are telling me my lo I'm lonely when I'm actually not. So again, a bit of discernment, um, get a bit of time with God and just process that and think, is this a lie that I'm believing? Um, I think, I was saying to this someone the other day, I can feel more single, more aware of my singleness in church on a Sunday morning or somewhere like West Point than I can anywhere else, which is kind of, yeah, okay, good, I'm not alone. Um, well, that's not good, is it? So I think... <laughs> I should stop externally processing and talking at the same time. It's not good. Um, I think you just, again, you need to have those honest conversations and work out what works for you. So I'm, I'm quite a tactile person, so I have people that I make a beeline for, particularly on a Sunday morning. Um, one of them's going to be sitting over there when I move churches, who I will make a beeline for because I want a hug because I probably haven't had one all week unless I've seen anyone in the evening. So for me, that kind of, that contact, physical contact, just having a hug with someone helps me to feel that connection. So I think you've really got to work out what works for you, but do listen out for the lies of the enemy as well and make sure you're speaking truth or you've got other people speaking truth into your life. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, for me, I've got go-to scriptures that I go to every time. You know, I, I have them written over my bed in the morning when I read them, um, just to remind myself of truth. Um, because you do go through the lows, you go through the highs, but yeah, it's coming always back to scripture and saying, what does the Bible say? And then just right-sizing that in my life and then constantly remind myself, you know, he is good, he's got a plan. Um, yeah, so that's for me. Find those scriptures that kind of really speak to you um that you've kind of probably walked with on your f in your journey so far and just kind of memorize them kind of get as much of it into your head as you can so when it when the attack does come you know, jesus's example when he was in the desert when he was uh, tempted and when he was um yeah well tempted he he argued with scripture um that's often and always for me is the best form of of defense is coming back to the word um yeah that's what i would say Okay, we've got a couple more. If, if we don't quite get to your question, then forgive me, but there will be a, I'm sure Matt and Cara will be happy to just give you a bit of time at the end. Come and grab them. Um, so here we go. Um, so you, you mentioned that there's two, two to one girls, the boys, in terms of singleness in the church. So uh, I guess this is from a girl. Why, why shouldn't I, I date a non-Christian? I, I mean, obviously there's some obvious answers, but... If he's kind, if he's nice, if he's a good guy, you know, especially as there are so few single guys in the church, you know, I, this may be potentially something you're really struggling with. What about you can get a really nice, kind man who may not know Jesus yet? What, what about that? I totally get that. Um, 
I've had that thought myself, if I'm being honest. I've even had someone in a leadership role in a church tell me they wouldn't blame me if I married a non-Christian. Not particularly helpful. Um, I think for, for me personally, I want someone who shares my faith. I want someone that loves Jesus. I want someone that's going to lead me, that I can do mission together with. My moral compass would be completely different to a non-Christian. I think if you're in a relationship already and one of you gets saved, that's an entirely different thing in God's plan. But I would never, ever choose. I just don't think, um, I don't think it's helpful. I've, I've had friends date non-Christians, and what happens is they're like a magnet, and they pull you away from God, and they pull you away from God. And it can be subtle to start with, but ultimately you can fall. Um, and I heard an analogy once years ago, which has stuck with me, that um, we were talking about this whole flirt to convert thing and dating non-Christians. And they said dating a non-Christian and trying to help and lead them to Christ and pray for them to lead them to Christ is like trying to run from one side of the motorway to the other side. So you run across six lanes of traffic, dodging the cars, to grab them by the hand and try and run back with them. That's how difficult it is to try and get a non-Christian to Jesus by dating them. So I, I wouldn't condone it. I wouldn't personally go there myself. I can totally understand why people just think, well, why not? But I would say it's quite a dangerous game to play because they will ultimately pull you away from Christ. And for me, that is not what I want. I would rather remain single the rest of my life and follow Jesus than marry someone that's not following Jesus. I'll just um, add something to that. Often, you know, as a pastor in our church, I often ask people in this situation this question, and that is this: Who is more committed to your long-term joy? Is it Jesus or yourself? And if you believe that it's Jesus, then you will trust what He says. You will trust that He has the best for you, every, His best intention for you, even if that means the signals, as Cara just said. And then the only other thing would be, Matt, if you stand on this chair quickly. Um, I'd, can you pull me up? Pull me up on the chair. Come on, mate, pull me up. P pull me up. Okay, I'm going to try to pull him down. Which one was easier? So much easier to pull someone down and pull him up. And if you think you're going to try to flirt to convert, then you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. Okay, here you go. Let's do one more then. Um... How do I deal with the temptation of sort of constantly thinking, is he, is she the one? You know, how, how, do, how do I manage that? How do, how do I know you've been to sort of deal with A, those feelings, but then B, potentially approach something without getting hurt or hurting someone else? How do I even get, get to that position? Tips. Um. I have a very good friend of mine, Jane, who's 52. She's been single her whole life, and she's getting married next weekend. I'm so excited for her. Sadly, I can't be there. Um, but, yes, yeah, really excited for her. And she, she dated someone on and off for five years, and um, it was a bit messy. And then she met someone and knew within three, four months that he was the one. And she, I said to her, I asked her the same question, because I'm thinking, well, she's, she's found the one. How did she know? Because I, I want to know. And she said, if they're right, you can't make them wrong. If they're wrong, you can't make them right. That's probably about the only wise thing I've got to say on the matter, because I don't know. Can you want to speak from a married perspective? Yeah, um, I don't know. I struggle with this idea as well. I, I don't know if I would, if I believe that there's one person for me. Um, not that I would have multiple wives, um, <laughs> for clarity's sake. Um, 
but I I believe there's a number of potential people I could be happily married to. Um, I, I know this is my own personal opinion. I can't back this up with anything scriptural, but um, yeah, I, I just I struggle with the idea that if there is only one person for every one person, that if you miss them for whatever reason, I know in God's sovereignty that he has a person and he has a plan. Um, and I would almost more trust in that, that who you end up with is the person God wants you to be with. Um, and yes, you know, there might be a relationship breakdown and that's difficult. Um, but trust in God's sovereignty that if you are, if you're, you know, seeking him first and you found this person who you're connected with, doing life with and who loves God, I think together you can make that work. If you're both loving God more than each other and you're going about this relationship, then it will be a good thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. As a, From a married point of view, as a, with a wife, is she the absolute one? <laughs> is she in here? She's trying to stitch me up. Um, I, I actually agree with Matt. I have the same same position. I don't believe there's one person for everyone. And if you miss him, well, you've got to make do with someone less or whatever. Um, no, I think there's, you know, you, who are you going to choose to commit the rest of your life with? And, you know, when we marry people and they come to the altar, they don't say, I do. They don't say, oh, I do love you, so I'll, I'll be with you forever in sickness and health. They say, I will. It's a choice. It's a decision. I will choose to forsake all others, and whether you go through sickness and health, poor, rich, whatever it might be, I'm making the decision that I'm going to choose to marry this person with me and we're going to go for it for the rest of our lives. And you can make that decision with, with anyone, I guess. Uh, and obviously there are some good key indicators. Do you get along? Are you friends? I think it's helpful if you're, you have a good relationship with their parents as well. There's lots of different factors involved in there. Certainly the Christian, you know, that's, that's a key. But um, yeah, I don't think there's, there's one for one. And so... Um, I think it's good for us to not to be constantly worrying about is he, he, she, whatever the one. I think it's also good to make sure that our identity is not in our marriage, marital status or not. Our identity is as children of God, first and foremost, and, and all the rest, you know, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, when we die and go to heaven, we will have our gender, male and female. We won't have our spouse, you know. In heaven, we'll be a single person worshipping Jesus. And so the marital status shouldn't be what defines us. Actually, as we're a child of God, made in his image, man and female. Equal, we're different, but we're equal, aren't we, in value in his sight. Why don't we stand together? I think it'd be great if uh, you guys could pray, pray for us. Um, Just take a moment. It won't take long. If you need to rush off, then feel free to, but why why don't you just pray for us? Yeah, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for the work he did on the cross. And Lord, we want to thank you that we can be in relationship with you. And Lord, that that is the one relationship that really counts. So Lord, I want to pray now that you come and fill us with a fresh spirit of revelation that we get to know you better. Lord, I want to pray for every person in this room that may be struggling and battling. Father, I pray you bring a peace and a comfort and then just remind them of who you are and that you have said great things over them and that you love them for who they are. Lord Jesus, I want to pray um, yeah, that as we go about our lives, we can be released into freedom that comes with being single, that we can serve you um, more effectively because of it. Lord, help us to see it as a blessing and as a gift and not as a burden and not as a barrier. 
So yeah, Father, I want to pray now that you come and yeah, bring your peace where there's struggles and bring some joy into this room as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I think me and Cara said we, we were happy to hang around a little bit now. Um, if people do want specific prayer for anything, we're, we're available. There is going to be a few ministry team as well if, if you want that. Um, if you want to get off to get your food, then that's absolutely fine as well. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for your time.